You're listening to episode three of Sometimes On, a podcast when we feel like it. Our next few episodes will focus on our 2015 New Front theme, Revelations. Today, we join my boss here at Digitas, Scott Donatin, and Fast Company's Teresa Etsy as they lay down the law with the Ten Commandments of Content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Digitas LBI's Sometimes On podcast, New Fronts edition. My name is Teresa Etsy. I'm an editor at Fast Company, and I'm here with Scott Donatin, Chief Content Officer at Digitas LBI. And we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments of content. Sounds ominous. <laughs> <laughs> so a little background. At Fast Company, we have industry experts who uh, do contributed posts for us, and we set the highest bar for, for who's doing those contributed posts. Hmm. And Scott wrote this piece for us. This was a year and a half ago, and it was extremely popular, the Ten Commandments of Content. And it was not only popular in the week that it was posted, it just kept being popular. We've had comments as recently as a couple of days ago, raving about the post, so it clearly struck a chord with our audience. So we're going to talk about that post today and, you know, see... I think it was the headline. It was all in the headline. <laughs> <laughs> it often is all in the headline. So hopefully today we can talk about what's enduring about that post, what has changed, why it was so popular. So for those who haven't read the post, Scott, just give us a really quick take on what it was and why you wrote it. Sure. It, it actually started out as um, I, I was fortunate enough to be the president of the Cannes Ad Festival jury uh, in the second year of the branded content and entertainment category. And I, and I came back from that experience and I, and I had been spending time mostly for myself originally just trying to figure out uh, and for my team what were the things that were winning and why I thought they were winning and what were kind of the common elements and common threads that ran among great work in the content space. And, and as I kind of did that, I you know, just kind of started trying to bring that down to you know, certain lessons or certain tenets of, of what made for good work. You know, and then I decided to give it a very lofty title, um, which was mostly about the knowing the power of the headline might hopefully draw people into it, but and you were kind enough to believe that it was worthwhile to share with your audience. Okay, so for those who didn't read the post and are unfamiliar with the Ten Commandments of Content, I'll just run through them now. Here they are, the Ten Commandments of Content. The first, find your why. Second, it's not all about you. Commandment three, insights inspire ideas. Four, go all the way. Number five, be social at the core. Commandment six is don't post and pray. Seven, be authentic. Eight, be the expert. Number nine, loosen your grip. And finally, the 10th commandment, expect results. So Scott, you've been chronicling this space for a long time. You wrote the book Madison and Vine back in 2004 um, and now working in this space. What's changed? What's changed since Madison and Vine, and in fact, what has changed since you wrote the Ten Commandments of Content? I think, you know, the point of Madison and Vine was written, we, we just had BMW films, so we were beginning to get into this idea that brands could tell stories of their own, but the truth is, at 2004, what most brands were doing was they were afraid of TiVo slash DVRs were going to mean that people wouldn't watch their commercials, and they were right. 
And their answer at that point was mostly uh, product integration. If, I'm, if I can't run a commercial that interrupts your programming, I'm going to throw my product in the middle of it. And, and the biggest change since then has been moving from uh, putting my product in the middle of other content to I can actually create content that people want to, want to see and share. In, in terms of since the last year and a half, I mean, what I'm thankful for is that I think all of those Ten Commandments still hold up as basic principles. But at the same time, everything has changed in terms of the complexities of the content ecosystems, where content is produced. And I think one of the biggest shifts we're seeing, it doesn't necessarily affect the commandments, but it goes to the don't post and pray and the distribution question is that we're seeing people moving away from trying to get people to a destination to view content into there not being one place and really content being syndicated out everywhere that people already are. It's less about driving people to a destination and more about that content being being at all these different touch points in their lives. And that's something we're gonna continue to see grow and evolve and, and, and will transform uh, how content is distributed and consumed over the next couple of years. Let's step back just a minute and consider what we talk about when we talk about content. It's, it's, it's a word that I think maybe people tune out of that word a little bit. It's meaningless and yet it means too many things at the same time. Is it native advertising? Is it branded entertainment? Is it real-time marketing, etc.? So not, not to get ridiculous, but content represents such an essential shift in our industry that it's worth just kind of stepping back and saying, what is that shift? What is, what is content marketing versus advertising? Sure, I'll start out by saying, I think, I think the words that we have for, for this overall are, are they, they're awful, <laughs> right? Branded entertainment, content, native, they're, they're terrible words. And, 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 and you know, uh, I've been responsible for overusing many of them. And I think they're getting a little overused, they're getting ill-defined, they're, they're not the great way to define this. But, but at the most basic level for me, and I think for the industry, what we're talking about when we talk about content is those things that an audience chooses to spend time with as we move away from this intrusive, interruptive model of advertising that we've had for over 100 years where a brand basically gets in the way of the content you're trying to consume, whatever that is, programming, whatever, whatever form it's taking, they get in the way of that to wave their hands in your face and talk about themselves. That's what advertising has been. Now, the greatest ads have always been great stories that people would choose to spend time with and share. We all know those commercials that touched our hearts, that moved us, that made us want to share them with someone else. So, you know, it's, it, it would be ridiculous for people who are now creating quote-unquote content to kind of put down all advertising because the greatest advertising uh, has always been great storytelling. But I do believe that it, it's this idea that instead of, you know, the stuff that is intruding and interrupting, it's brands finding the things they have to share with an audience that are, that are worthy of people's time. Right. I think that's bang on. And the essential thing there is that audiences choose to interact with it. And I think that when I think about how to sort of wrestle that word down, advertising starts with, we are a brand and here's what we want to tell you about ourselves. You know, we're going to make this unit that has that message and we're going to pay to put it out in the world. Content starts with, what does the audience want? What's going to serve them? What's going to entertain or, you know, entertain them or make their lives easier or better? It's, it's, a, it's an audience first sort of it's a great, ethos. Yeah, it's a great point. It goes, for, it goes from what is my product, what is my service, what are the benefits of that to what role do I play in people's lives and, and, and how do I share that story. And also I think on the most 
basic level um, uh, was was involved in creating this thing for Denny's a couple of years ago. This comedy web series with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. They they executive produced um, and starred in among other things. Dave Keckner hosted, and it was an interview improv interview series. And and I always uh, when certain times when people ask me what's the difference between content and advertising, in one of the episodes, Sarah Silverman tells a joke that involves talking about anal warts. And she tells this joke while eating food in a Denny's. And you can just imagine that if you were their, their typical creative agency and you went and said, here's a storyboard for a 30-second Denny's ahead, and we got Sarah Silverman, and she's going to talk about anal warts while she eats our food, you'd be thrown out of that office so quickly. And in this case, the client embraced it, loved it. The audience embraced it, loved it. But it does speak to that idea that it, that it was... You know, it's a brand letting go of some of the control because it's 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 in the audience's interests and not being you know so afraid and so controlling about the message about what Denny's food it tastes like. Right. Two words: anal warts. Anal warts. Um, so, at your agency, your chief content officer, how are you incorporating content into the agency's creative offering? How are you working with the creative department, with data, with the other departments to sort of incorporate content from the start. Sure, by creating podcasts where we say anal warts. This will, this will <laughs> be the only. One. This will be the only episode. Um, the, the reason I came to Digitas, and 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 it's and it's and it's proven really true. I've been here for three months at this point. Is is this unique kind of combination we have of we're a media agency and we're a creative agency and we're a technology agency, and we're a data agency. And, and the future of content, it's clear to me, involves all of those things coming together as one. And when it comes to creative in particular, uh, there can't be a separation. We, and, I, and I've seen, uh, we've seen in the industry certain agencies that will have, even within the creative agency, a creative department and a content department. And while we have the titles and, and the functions, we actually, uh, the chief creative officer and I have offices right next to each other. Uh, we're in a lot of the same meetings. We work together. And it's really, I think, about the different skill sets that we each bring uh, to it. But there's not necessarily a separation. It's really about how many creative minds can you get? How can you get people to think differently? How can you bring in partnerships with companies that maybe we're not the kinds of partners that creative uh, departments we're used to working with. We're at a point now where a lot of the, the biggest A-list talent uh, in the world, the greatest storytellers in the world, if you will, are, are very willing to work with brands because they know that brands now are more willing to create content that people want to spend time with. And, and the biggest example or most recent um, Best example of that is General Electric, which uh, has been uh, become a real powerhouse content marketer across every platform, from Vine to Instagram. To, but they just announced um, uh, a partnership with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer to create a six-part, I believe, documentary series that will air on the National Geographic Channel with episodes directed by Ron Howard. Um, and, and other leading directors, and, and it really speaks to this idea of, you know, that, that's how our creative department, you know, works with us as well, is, is, is we work uh, in, on the content side, if you will, with all of those production companies, with all of that talent, with all of those people, to bring them in and have them help us tell our stories. And I think the greatest thing is um, our chief creative officer often says, 
you know, we can't have a creative department. We have to just be a creative agency. And so it's all got to be one thing. We can't draw artificial lines and distinctions. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments of content for a minute. Let's sort of dig into a couple of the commandments, if you will. One of them that I thought was interesting was find your why. But tell me what that means and, and give me an example of somebody doing that. Sure. I saw, I saw a great um, Simon Sinek TED talk uh, a couple of years ago called Start With Why. And Simon says, if you will, that, um, that, the greatest, that every brand knows what they do. Some brands know how they do it, but the best brands not only know why they do it, but they actually start with why instead of starting with what and how. And the why actually drives the what and the how. And he talks about Apple, among others, as a, as a great why um, brand. And I realized when I, the minute I saw that, that even though he wasn't talking about brand storytelling, he was, which is, which is how I kind of came to this idea that, that the, the best brands in the storytelling space are those who know their why, because when you find the why of a brand, you find the story of a brand. And, you know, there was a great uh, private luncheon that I had at one point uh, with a Johnson & Johnson client and Anthony Zyker, who created CSI, and he asked the client at a certain point, uh, what is a Band-Aid in the most basic sense? And she said, well, in the most basic sense, a Band-Aid is an adhesive bandage for minor wounds. He said, to me, a Band-Aid is the courage to try again. And then he started telling these stories about kind of falling off his bike as a kid, getting the cut, crying to his mother, her washing it off, putting the Band-Aid, and him going back out and doing it again. And you start to realize very quickly, it really is that, that thing we were talking about earlier, which is you elevate beyond talking about a product or product benefits, and you talk about the role of a product in people's lives. You talk about the values of a product. You think about Chipotle and the amazing work that, that they've done with Back to the Start and the Scarecrow and, and, and these great, um, highly rewarded and rightfully so films that they've done, which really speak to the values of Chipotle. And, and they live those values. So when they talk about, you know, they don't just make a beautiful film that's about sustainable organic farming, they source their ingredients from sustainable organic farms. And, and, you know, that's what it means to start with why. So yeah, those are great shining examples of, of brands who seem to get that, finding their why. But how do you help your clients find their why, if you will, for, for the ones that are, you know, want to sort of do better on that score? Sure, I, I mean, it's interesting. There, there are some brands that kind of fundamentally know obviously, and that's a great starting spot. There are other brands that don't. They, there used to be this feeling that there were either, that they were kind of content worked for, you know, high interest products and considered purchases, things like automobiles, where people spent a lot of time researching and figuring out and had more at stake in the purchase, and that for, you know, low interest products, maybe this wasn't the, the right answer. And, and again, I think that's because they were thinking about the products as opposed to the role in people's lives. So, in particular with those kinds of brands, we'll regularly do workshops and meetings and help them uh, discover their why. And, and you know, again, the greatest advertising has always come from good human insights. And, and it's really about how we work and how, this is where when we talked earlier about data, we, we use data and we combine the data that we have, the data that our partners in the media companies have, the data that the brands themselves have to really try and get at some insights about the audience and the role that that product truly plays in the audience's lives and the, and the, and the need um, that it fulfills. 
And then out of that, we, we kind of help them find that why. And out of the why, we can unearth the stories. And it's really most interesting to me when, when I work with people on a brand that believes they're a low-interest brand until you kind of help them realize. Um, I, I did this exercise uh, in, in my past life with Visine. And, and there were some people on that brand who just, you know, didn't necessarily understand, you know, that they had a, you know, storytelling space that was legitimate for them. And I talked legit, you know, as somebody who wears contacts about the fact that when my contacts are drying up in my eyes and I, if I don't have Visine, this is like, I become like a madman and I can't focus on anything. I can't, I, I've been in business meetings where I can't even hear what people are saying. All, all I want to do is reach into my eyes and pull my contacts out of my head. And so in that moment, Visine is actually sanity for me. And like, I don't know if that's right. their story. And that, but, but like, you know, so many brands that think they're low interest really aren't when you get, when you get into what they, the reasons that people actually buy and use them. Right, right. The other day I saw a, um a piece of content from a brand that makes, um, I won't mention it in case you have, one of your clients is their competitor, um, but it was a, a maker of denture adhesive. And they did this piece of content where they, there was a lion who- The Fixident Aslan thing, you have to mention it. It's a great, <laughs> it's an amazing piece and of content. And that is, talk about a low interest brand, like it, it's just such a great thing to see that happening. If, if Fixident's doing that, you know, it's making that sort of emotional impact. That's You're right. It's this beautiful film, right, of this white lion who needs to, who has a, I think his canines have broken off or something, and uh, and, and the way it ties back in the end, obviously they don't use Fixident to fix the lion. He gets actual uh, lion surgery, but, um, but it brings back around this idea of what happens to your confidence, among other things, when you don't have your teeth and, and the whole positioning of, of, you know, get your bite back, and it's beautiful film, completely unexpected for the category, you're right, and a great example of this. So, so far we've worked in anal warts and lion <laughs> surgery. Let's see what else we can cover off. This will be the only uh, episode of the podcast to have these things in it, if we don't get edited out. So, okay, another of the commandments is, it's not all about you, the notion of conversation. And I think some people look at that and say, who wants to have a conversation with a brand? And you know, there's been some high profile uh, arguments in that direction. There is John Oliver's very funny rant about native advertising. One of his examples was 11 sea creatures who deserve to die, sponsored by BP. Um, anyway, and you know, the Andrew Sullivan, the blogger, was a vocal critic of native advertising, etc. Um, so, how can brands have conversations with people? where people want to have the conversation. Yeah, it, it's not an easy line to find. And we've all seen brands. There are some brands that try and insert themselves into every conversation, you know. Uh, unfortunately, Oreo Dunk in the Dark, the bad thing it started was every brand thinking that they had to have that moment and they had to comment on everything big in pop culture, whether it was relevant to them or not. And I, and I think like, like any other form of advertising or new form of marketing, that comes along, there's always going to be, you know, a fair amount of it that is that is crap, to be honest, and and brands misunderstanding uh, their place in that. So, it is a careful line. The, the interesting thing to me is that critics of native advertising always portray it very simply as an advertiser trying to trick people into spending time with their ads 
uh, by mimicking the editorial you know, environment in which the ad is placed. In fact, why don't we act celebrate, celebrate's too strong a word, but why don't we appreciate the fact that what brands are really trying to do, again, is say that instead of intruding on your experience, I'm trying to add value to it. And then let the audience decide whether they do or not. By the way, I'm not saying that, that all native advertising adds value to the experience, but I'm saying that at, at its heart, it's an attempt by brands to actually create things that people will want to spend time with. And then, as with any other piece of content that people will or won't spend time with, you know, let them decide what's worthy of their time. It's not all about you, though. It just means, as with any other conversation, I'm not intruding into the middle of what people are talking about to suddenly change the subject, which is what advertising has always done. Can I, can I by walking up to you and your circle of friends as you're talking, say something that you're interested in that makes you want to keep me in that circle? Or am I that annoying guy that you're trying to you know, move away from at the party? Um, another one of the commandments was insights inspire ideas. Data-driven insights and intelligence are fuel for creativity. And I think this is an interesting area for you because you're at an agency that is strong on data and you know, it builds platforms. First of all, how are you channeling data into insights? That's the magic trick, right, is there's so much data out there now is that how you kind of boil that down, you know, to, to the essence of what are the legitimate human insights that it reveals. They're in there, but it's a very careful, you know, strategic process to kind of extract that um, from the data. But I really think, that, you know, we are in this age, and this is not entirely new to say, but we, we used to be in the place where data and creativity were almost seen as enemies, or data was seen as the enemy of creativity. And I believe that, that anybody who does anything creative at this point sees data as fuel for what they do. And, and if you think about um, House of Cards as an extreme example, House of Cards is considered by many people to be one of the most artful, elegant uh, shows uh, on TV. And, and it is, but it's also a, a carefully engineered product of data. And it is because Netflix literally used all the data it had on its users to figure out that people who are watching the original House of Cards from the UK from 10 years ago, I think, also liked Kevin Spacey and they also liked films by David Fincher. And so they literally engineered this show to be a hit by using data on the front end and mining it for insights is you can begin to create things that you can predict um, an audience will have interest in. No, that's an interesting point, and I do think that the tension between data and creativity is, is a false one in many ways, but I think your point about um, House of Cards is interesting because that's such a great example of data working to create something creative, but I think when people look at that, they think, well, what about that genius idea that when you put it on paper makes absolutely no sense, where one sort of creative visionary or a group have come up with this thing that if you look at it, it, nobody would ever buy it. But when, you know, when it's put out into the world, people go crazy for it. And I think that's what we want to keep that sort of unexplained creative spark in the advertising process. It's a great point. I don't think we could ever kill that. I mean, the truth is we all know the stories and it's sometimes seen as a, uh, a negative thing uh, that, you know, the creative people came up with an idea and then they and then they reverse engineered the, the, the data or the insight you know to make it seem as if it were it were created out of that and while that seems like a joke and it seems like maybe oh that's a dark side of the industry 
in truth, that's actually, you're never going to kill that. You're never going to kill the creative spark of inherently creative people who are going to come up with good ideas and the ability to recognize those ideas and, and let them shine through. As long as, obviously, any great advertising has to, in the end, be strategically connected to a brand and its goals, and it shouldn't be that kind of like, I've been waiting to sell this idea to any brand in any category that I can sell it to kind of approach. But while I do see data coming in more and more on the front end to spark creativity, there's always that ability to let people just go off and come up with the wild ideas. And, and it's important that we make sure that we never lose that. So how do you measure success when you're putting something out there that's not such a direct sell message? You know, ultimately, how do you tie that people's love of that thing and engagement with it with whatever the, the brand's goals are? It's really important, and, and early on there was this feeling, and I think it held back investments by brands in content, that they didn't know whether the money they were being spent worked. Or worse, they believed that the money they were spending didn't work, which, which often meant I put out a piece of content and I was so afraid of doing business in that way that I kind of tucked it all away in a corner and I didn't do anything to surround and amplify it, and then I was disappointed in the results. And now I, th you know, I think we're past that with most brands and we're into figuring out that kind of, you know, you, you know, I talk about this often, I don't think brands need a content strategy that sits off to the side of everything else they do. I think they need a story-led marketing strategy. And, and the key thing, and it's really the 10th commandment, is that you've got to hold this stuff accountable. You've got to make sure that, that it works. And, and uh, I have always said, because otherwise brands won't respect it, they won't invest in it, they'll make a one-time investment and back away, they'll experiment. Uh, and and I don't I think that's dangerous because I do believe this is the future of all marketing. You know, it used to just be how many views did I get, and now we know that engagement is a better score. That when people share things, comment on it, like it, uh, that that they're more likely to actually that that ends up coming back around and affecting you know, what we would call lower funnel decisions, you know, about buying products and actually buying them in sales. I do think we still have to continue to evolve and make sure that brands feel that these investments are as accountable. I get that as people move into spaces they're not as comfortable with, they need as many proof points as possible. And I see that as a good thing. And thankfully, I work at an agency that has uh, 350 data scientists who can help me figure that out. So, okay, when it comes to your clients and the Ten Commandments of content, what are your biggest pieces of advice with the goal of making more meaningful, better content? I really do think it is get past that fear um, that it has to be all about you in a direct manner, that it has to be, you know, the classic make the logo bigger, put my product in the middle of it. I don't understand why isn't my product there? Can they be holding my product while they say this? You know, we talked earlier about GE and this breakthrough series they're doing at National Geographic. And, and that, that's a great example, again, of a brand saying these topics matter to us and we are experts in these topics and we have enough faith in ourselves that we can create documentaries around these topics and not have them be about our brand. There's all these different ways that you can advance and amplify and drive people who are interested into product messaging through content. but. In the content itself, I think it's really important that the user experience, the human experience is always put first and, and you have faith in the alignment with the brand's values and the ability to spark enough interest to then drive people to the product messaging and to the point of purchase. Awesome. Well, you heard it, everyone. Go forth 
and make great content. Scott, thank you so much for having this conversation. I'm Teresa Etsy from Fast Company. Thanks for tuning in. So how many times did you think you hear Eno Warts today? Once is too many. This episode of Sometimes On was sponsored by our awesome friends and experts in content at The Onion and at Fullscreen. Head over to our YouTube page to see them in our new Fun Revelations video series. And a big thanks to our production team, Chris, Barbara, Avi, Colin, and me, George Hammer. Till next time, see ya.